Well, hello, everyone. Thanks again so much for joining us here at the HIS 296 podcast. I hope this finds you well wherever you're at and whenever you're listening to this. So this week in the course, we turn to obviously what is perhaps one of the most monumental um, events in modern Korean history um, and modern East Asian history um, more broadly. And in some ways, as we're going to discuss world history, right, the Korean War um, that broke out on June 25th, 1950, and would um, in obvious ways forever change and in in ways that continue to impact um, the Korean Peninsula to this day, society and and the nature of of social, political, economic, um, cultural order in, you know, in the lives and times of the people on the Korean Peninsula, you know, not least um, with the millions of people who died or were injured in the war, thousands and hundreds of thousands who were displaced, um, the families that continue to still be divided, uh, such a toll in terms of human and physical um, destruction has, you know, reach, reaches well beyond um, the three years that the war raged and, um, again, is in some ways still ongoing, right? That a um, ceasefire was signed, but a formal peace treaty concluding the Korean War uh, has notably never been signed. So in some, you know, sense, the Korean War is still uh, going on, right? Though obviously, um, outside of some occasional but important flare-ups over the last decades, has been largely um, a, a war of words and a war of propaganda and a war of um, sometimes terrorism and subversion and espionage uh, has not flared up into a full-scale war um, in that time, but still a, a, sen- a state of war in in someone's technically in some sense technically still exists on the Korean Peninsula. So what I want to talk about today um, is kind of the last steps that brought into being two different states claiming sovereignty over the entire Korean Peninsula um, beginning in 1948 and as in some ways a a culmination of uh, the period that began with the separate occupation zones um, and the drawing of a line, uh, the somewhat arbitrary line as we discussed across the 38th parallel, um, becoming you know, formalized and, and in some ways far more rigid with the proclamation of the Republic of Korea in the South and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea in the North. Uh, and to think about this in the, you know, broader terms as we've discussed, you know, the complex interaction of the global guided by Cold War logic and the zero-sum game of the Cold War logic that was coming into being interacting with existing and very large divisions and schisms within Korean society, uh, tracing back to the colonial period and and tracing back to, as has been noted, some of the social divisions that existed prior to the colonial period, right? And so um, Syngman Rhee, who uh, was, you know, became the president of the first president of the Republic of Korea, hails from a very prominent Yangban family, right? And and I think that is not um, a minor fact, right? And so these divisions were existing already, and in some ways the logic of the Cold War being mapped onto them only helped to exacerbate, right? And so it's not so simple as the Cold War or the the Soviet Union and the United States caused the Korean War, or that it was only the divisions within Korean society that caused the Korean War. I think the more holistic view is that the interaction of these two social forces 
um, laid the conditions for the eventual outbreak of the Korean War. And in some ways, the kind of final step along the way towards what would ultimately emerge as um, a, a extremely bloody and violent conflict between North and South Korea. Of course, South Korea being joined by um, UN allied forces, largely um, with U.S. contingent and the Soviet Union providing a huge amount of military and financial aid to the North Korean regime, ultimately supported by Chinese forces. Um, so obviously this is both a local, regional, and global conflict in terms of the actual combat activities. And it was 1948 uh, where there was a decision to hold elections across the Korean Peninsula um, and have those who are victorious in these elections take power over a unified Korean Peninsula and having the United States and the Soviet Union both agree to withdraw their occupying forces. This sounds like a very optimal, a very good way to resolve the problem. However, again, by the time this is locked into this kind of Cold War logic, neither the Soviet Union nor the United States was going to allow a government that they felt was supportive of one side or the other to take power, right, through elections even, right? So that regardless of both sides saying we want democracy and we want free people and Korean self-rule, both of them were at the same time viewing Korea through the logic of the Cold War and were certainly not going to allow uh, what they felt to be someone supporting the opposing side to take power. And at this point, too, there wasn't really, you know, you might think, well, what, what about uh, electing a government that didn't have an alliance with either side? And that also seemed to be pretty much off the table as a possibility, given the logic, again, of the U.S. and Soviet occupations in the North and South, respectively. And in response to this proposal, uh, the South and embraced having the elections while the North rejected them. And at that very moment, that became the last step along many steps that basically ensured the division of Korea and to some extent ensured that there would be some sort of conflict, right? And, and let me back up and, and explain how this um, plays out. And with the South agreeing to have elections without the North participating, that is effectively saying we're going to elect a government of people elected you know, in the Southern zone, of people voting in the Southern zone, of candidates running in the Southern zone, and therefore almost ensuring the declaration of an independent state in the South, which did happen in August of 1948. And once the South had declared itself the Republic of Korea in September of 1948 in succession, the Northern Zone under Kim Il-sung declared itself the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And what's important about these declarations is one, they are claiming themselves to be sovereign um, states and, and in some ways defining themselves as distinct political entities. But the most crucial aspect is that both states declared themselves to be the legitimate government of the entire Korean Peninsula. And we can already see how that trapped them into a logic that continually over the next several years marched them closer and closer to open conflict, uh, resulting in finally the outbreak of the Korean War in June 25th, 1950. Now, certainly uh, the historical record is pretty clear that it was an invasion from the North that precipitated the full outbreak of what we call the Korean War. But it's important to consider that for uh, months, if not a year or so before that, that skirmishes and incursions and um, violent actions uh, back and forth have been taking place along the border and that it was a very tense and very volatile situation. 
Um, nonetheless, it is absolutely certain that the North did precipitate the ultimate outbreak of the war. However, it's also important to consider that Syngman Rhee, the president of the South, who was elected in August of 1948, was also lobbying the United States to authorize an invasion of the North, that both sides were determined to unify the Korean Peninsula under their rule with force if necessary. And by the time we get in after you know, 1948, 1949, it becomes clear that force and violent force is going to be the only mechanism for having one side unified with the other, or having the entire Korean Peninsula come under the rule. And, and so June 25th represents the North's attempt to unify the Korean Peninsula by force. There's a lot more to dive into, but I just wanted to lay out some of those step-by-step events that lead us up to the cusp of the outbreak of the war in June 25th, 1950, and also point to the fact that this was the outcome, again, of the interaction of kind of two logics that were reinforcing each other and increasingly pushing the Korean Peninsula towards division and towards war, and that neither the foreign forces nor the um, local forces, the local Korean political, economic, social forces alone um, give us the full explanation, but understanding, again, this notion of complex interaction. Well, there's a lot more to discuss, and I'm really excited to get into it in class next week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to seeing you in class next week.